Sorry about that, folks. I'm Fred McMurray. It's Thursday, 4 p.m. Central, which means this must be... And welcome. Happy final day of November 2023. I don't know about the rest of you, but I cannot believe how quickly this year has gone by. That means that we have done far too many pillars of franchising shows for me to count. But today is a really great day. We've got an exciting guest on, and we're going to talk about first for word on the street some of the things that will ensure that you start your business off on the right foot. So four of the tips that we have for you for ensuring success when you open a franchise are these. No particular order necessarily, um, but I will start with know thyself. And the reason we say this is that a lot of times people don't recognize where their own weaknesses are. And so um, here at Pillars, if we sit down and talk with you about buying a franchise, we take you through kind of a portfolio and really help you identify where your strengths are, some of the hidden things in, say, your personality that maybe doesn't play well in a retail business, maybe something that you haven't discovered about yourself that would make you really good in more of a consulting role. So making sure that you take some time, several of you may have already taken um the 360 uh, survey that's out there, things of that nature. There, there are some of those that are free online. And if you can find one, take one. It's amazing what you learn about yourself. And it certainly helps us when we're trying to place you with the franchise, kind of guide us in what works and what doesn't work. And obviously there are some blind spots that you may have and it helps to identify those as well. So know thyself. The second one is to make sure that you um, get the FDD and that you go through the whole thing. Yes, I know. It's big. I've seen SCDs that are five, 600 pages, and it's not the most exciting read. But as we've talked about on shows past, there are several parts of the FCD that are extremely important. And without going through the painstaking effort of, of reviewing those today, you can certainly find those in some of our previous episodes, which you can find at pillarsoffranchising.com. However, for today, because of the guests we're having on, I would like to point out a couple different things. And one is that you can't always just look at the item 19. We talk a lot on the show about the item 19 and how it really talks about the health, the financial health of the franchisor and its uh, franchisees. But in cases of emerging brands, like we're talking with today, you can't necessarily always get a good feel for that. And I will tell you, even during COVID, um, there is some data that has been skewed based on the number of closings because of the type of businesses they were and things of that nature. So item 19, while it is an extremely good tool, doesn't always give you a clear and complete picture, which is why we're talking about four of the very important things to do to ensure that you are successful. Um, in the FDD, however, if you find, like the, like, um, the brand that we're going to be talking to today, that they don't have a history, that they've been in the market for less than a year, so there is no item 19. One of the things I like to recommend people do, and this is whether they have an item 19 or not, but certainly for emerging brands, take a look at item two. 
So item two in the franchise disclosure document talks about the leadership team. What I really like about that is it gives you kind of some background on where did they come from, what have they done, what is their experience. And you can investigate some of those things that they've done or those brands that they've worked for to get an idea of were they growth-minded, did the franchise, um, you know, did it appear to be successful, is it still going, what are some of the um, things, uh, points of feedback that maybe you can find there. So again, item two, especially for emerging brands, take a look at the leadership team and see that you feel comfortable with it. To piggyback that, as you know, we always talk about due diligence, so I'll get to that in a minute. Um, securing your funding is another really good thing that you need to make sure you have. After you go through the FDD, you're gonna find places in there that are gonna tell you exactly how much you're gonna need. Okay, so not even just the franchise fee, but what it's gonna take to get your franchise open. Ray and I have our own little rule. As you've heard before, we always say whatever the franchisor tells you, two and a half times that should get you through the finish line in terms of past that opening and to break even. Um, if it's a little bit extra, hey, you know what? You can return the money early. You don't have to you know, keep it there. But for a growth-minded business, we like to make sure that you have a lot of extra sitting there. And believe it or not, I opened in the recession. Many businesses opened in COVID. Um, that two and a half times didn't necessarily seem like a whole lot of extra money. It just basically got us through those tough times. We never know what's happening next, right? So make sure that you really think about the funding and you can't get a funding number until you've gone through the FDD. When you're going through your funding, the other thing you wanna do is make sure that you do your break-even analysis. Your break-even analysis with the information provided from fellow franchisees and the franchisor will help you understand what you need to do in sales to overcome those payments that you have to make every month so that your business is truly at a break even or you actually start to make money. So most people, their target is to, you know, maybe a year, 18 months until you broke even. Some are more aggressive, some are successful with that more aggressive plan and some are not, but you have to have a realistic picture. And last but not least, you all know that we beat the drum on this every episode if we have an opportunity, and that is doing your due diligence. So doing due diligence doesn't mean just calling, you know, your local owners of the franchise you want to buy and finding out what their experience has been. It means calling the super successful ones. It means calling those that are kind of at the bottom of the pile. How, you know, how are they, what, what are they doing that's making them struggle? Is it an issue where maybe they don't believe in the system? Are they in a bad location? Do they not feel like they're getting the support from the franchisor? Why are they not as successful? And we always say, if you can get a hold of anybody that used to own the business, that's always a really good indicator too. Keep in mind, many of those may be a bit bitter if it was a bad, like a bad divorce. Um, and some of those maybe they sold because they moved on to greener pastures and they're retiring. So that might be a really good experience. So those are your four tips for today. Know thyself. Make sure that you read through the FDD. Make sure you do uh, secure funding. Work that break-even analysis. You're going to want that multiple times throughout the first maybe three to five years of your business, making sure that you understand what levers to pull based on how much money you need to make in your business. And last but not least, certainly not least, is the due diligence. This has been the Word on the Street. I hope you have a great week, and we've got a great show for you coming up right after this. Hey, franchise owners. How is your local marketing? 
Do you feel like you could use some help keeping up with your social media posts and comments and reviews? Do you wonder if you could be doing more to attract local customers? Are you able to identify new movements to your local area? At Westvine, we help franchisees like you reach more local customers through digital marketing. With daily monitoring, creative content, and ad placement, and customer data intelligence, we'll get your business in front of the people who want your products or services. We also work with franchisors who need an agency to handle the digital marketing for all of their locations. If you're ready to reach more local customers, give us a call at 805-265-5440 or visit us at westvine.com. That's 805-265-5440 or westvine with a Y dot com. And welcome back to the Pillars of Franchising. As promised a few moments ago, we've got a very exciting show for you today. We have yet another brand from one of our favorite portfolios, uh, the Happy Nest family. Uh, I love it because we always want to say Happy Nest, and it's no think of Nest because it's your home, right? Right. And with Happy Nest today is Sharon Kupak. I'm sorry. Did I get it right? You did. You did. It was perfect. I looked at it, I'm like, hmm, I have a couple chances at this. <laughs> and Sharon is here today. She is going to share with us a brand new brand that I believe it might have just been Eric Martin who um, flipped the news to us that they had a new brand coming in straight out of Canada. And so, Sharon, can you tell us a little bit about the new brand Sparkle Squad that you are leading now? Yeah. Well, thank you so much, firstly, for having me. Um, Eric spoke really highly of the podcast, so I'm super excited uh, to be a part of this today. Uh, yes, we are part of Happiness Brands. We are uh, just launching our fifth brand, Sparkle Squad, in the U.S. This brand was incubated from a brand that we acquired in Canada uh, last October, beginning of October of 2022, with Chris Stonis as the founder and CEO. So, uh, yeah. right, which you you know, Chris, he's amazing. Yes, yes. Now, if for those of you listening, you're like, why does that sound familiar? Well, Chris Stonis sounds familiar because we also had him on the show just a few short weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Yep. So we were really pleased with just how he. Uh, brought that brand to life in Canada, and we thought we need to bring something to the States that are, is going to be innovative, uh, take the the guesswork out of pricing for a consumer, really just make the whole experience more positive for the franchisee to be able to run their business successfully, as well as the consumer just have ease in the way that they go about getting the services that we offer. So mm-hmm. that's actually really good because the services you offer, you know, you're not just a cleaning company. You're not just a window company. Can you talk about all the offerings that you have at Sparkle Fund? Sure, absolutely. So our main focus is windows inside and out. And we do screens and we do the tracks of the windows, but we also do gutters. And we do house washing, which is called soft washing, so it doesn't damage the facade of a building or a home. And we do pressure washing, and we are launching out, uh, hopefully in 2024, holiday lighting. So that'll be an additional, which is great. So it will ex- 
extend the season of revenue generation for the owners. Um, the difference in our brand is that we are safe in the way that we go about the business. We're literally servicing customers from six stories down from the ground. So, you know, and people don't really necessarily think about that because they're like, well, you know, you're insured, you're bonded. But from a business owner perspective, that's huge for workers' comp insurance. Yeah, you're absolutely right. There's two sides to this. You're absolutely right. It is. It's so much safer. It's not to say the owners would not get on a ladder. They would get on a ladder to do something unusual. Mm -hmm. It's kind of hard to get. But for the most part, they can use the water-fed carbon filter poles that extend Mm -hmm. up that are three and a half pounds. Females can lift it. I've done it. And you can literally clean six stories down. You can do gutters up to 50 feet. Wow. The carbon filter pole that has a camera on the top so that whoever's looking at the screen on the bottom can say, yes, we absolutely need to do these gutters. It's hard to find a house that would have 50 feet up for gutters, but but if there is one, we can absolutely do that. It's a huge differentiator because anything that's considered a low rise, commercial, institutional, like hospitals, universities, many of those, we can satisfy their needs. Well, I think what's um, really great about the timing of this um, brand coming into play and with the technology you use, while we have these labor shortages, you've just opened it up to females who typically aren't signing up to do window washing because it's such hard, heavy labor. So I think that's really exciting. And and I know that when, um, as you're up in Canada with elite window washing, you have several female owners too, which is very exciting for me. Yeah, we, uh, well, there's more technicians in Canada. We do have female owners with elite window cleaning. Um, but Chris Stonis really does believe that women have a soft spot for customer service. Not to say men don't too, they absolutely do. But it just opens the pool for a better sure. experience from the consumer perspective. Yeah, well, and you know, I know with my business with house cleaning, typically, okay, sorry guys, but it's true. The women make the decisions on who they're going to hire. And so I think that for women who are talking to somebody, a lot of times that relationship just happens more easily. So I think that's a really great way that you've come into the market. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me a little bit? You've had 26 years in franchising. You've done all kinds of different stuff from senior care to um, some other home care type of things. Um, what do you think? you have that positions you to lead this brand into a brand new market, not even market, country. (laughs) Absolutely. It's 100% white space, which is um, the best part about working with happiness. So kind of, you know, how you just fall into franchising and sort of find you and then you get sucked into the excitement of helping people and totally realizing dreams. It's just, uh, you know, I would have been gone a long time ago if I didn't find so much enjoyment in it. I, my expertise and what I find most joy in is building the foundation of a business. I absolutely love being as picky as I can be to find the right people, because if you don't bring in, if you just bring in anybody that can fog a mirror, 
you're going to fail. The business is not going to be successful. You really have to take care in determining who is that right person to start the brand from square one. And then you build that up. And then once we get enough owners to build that foundation, 25, 30, 40 owners, then we know who we want, right? And we know how to best support them. And then it's just smooth sailing from there. So I have always enjoyed to do that. I've done that my entire career for multiple brands from day one with brands. And when I had the opportunity to talk to happiness, I just thought this is for me because as we continue to add brands, I've launched out two other brands already with happiness. This is my third launch brand. And um, I love what I love about happiness specifically is that it isn't like we just acquire a brand and take it out there for people to take a look at and it's not ready. We absolutely take the care. Like for example, we acquired Elite in 20, uh, October of 2022. I didn't launch it out until July of this year. Yeah. I did, it was a whole year before I launched out EcoMaids. When uh-huh. we EcoMaids. And because Sparkle Squad is from the ground up, it's an incubated brand from Elite, same system, same leadership, same support, same everything. It was a little bit easier, but it took quite a while to make sure yeah. Had all the systems in place and documented to be able to support effectively. Right. And I think that's really important. There's a couple of things I want to bring up about that. I mean, obviously, these early adopters that you have who say, yeah, I want, I want to get into this business. Um, tell me a little bit about some of what you see to be the benefits of being an early adopter in this brand. Yeah, it is a special candidate, but I'll tell you, it's become more and more popular and exciting and acceptable for a candidate to get into an emerging brand underneath the right situation and circumstance. So I think some of the advantages from my perspective are you get a lot of love as a new franchisee. There's a lot of love that goes on because we have to make sure these people do everything in both of our powers to be successful. Right. It's not like you can just throw somebody in the business and just you know, wish their wish them well. That's not how that goes when you launch a brand. You really have to pay attention. The other thing is that they have a voice. Mm-hmm. They bring their expertise from their past life into our brand, and they give us suggestions. Some of the ideas came from franchisees and systems. Some of the yeah. best ideas, and so that that we respect that, and we look forward to that communication, that open dialogue, and really driving the brand. Also, you get to a sweet spot in territory. Best territories are the first ones in, and that's just yeah. how that goes. So I think that's an advantage. Also, it's, um, you know, I feel like it's it's a lot of fun. They're not numbers. Yeah. You know, these are, these are people that are molding a system. And I think new owners like that. They yeah. like to feel as a family. They like that feeling of being involved. And I think that... Um, that's pretty common when you launch out a brand with the foundation owners. Well, and I think that um, one of the things that I appreciate about Sparkle Squad is that you are part of a bigger platform, right? So can you tell us some of the things that you've been able to adopt into Sparkle Squad that Happy Nest 
has made available so that you're really more productive and uh, more effective as an, a business owner with an emerging brand in this case. Yeah, and I, I, I was really excited to hear what you mentioned in the beginning in the opening about emerging brands because there's different types of emerging brands. There, I've worked with emerging brands where it was uh, Ma and Pop who decided to franchise and they had gone into debt to do it and it was a great brand, but they were, you know, I mean, they're trying to figure it out, right? So it, that's a much more difficult story to share and support to provide to somebody that's really buying a dream at that stage, right? Yeah. So the the reverse of that is a happiness brand this is why I love this because happiness is a strength behind all of our brands. 55 right. years of experience with lawn doctor and franchising, like household name brand, just right. very successful, right? But that financial strength allows us the opportunity to make sure our systems are already set up. There are people behind the brand that can support the owners from day one. We don't have to get that revenue in. We don't make money off of their off of their franchise fee. We lose money actually, but we invest in right. that in that new franchisee. The systems are already in play. We mm -hmm. just sort of change the widget to a degree yeah. um, to fit whatever the situation is with that new brand. So I think having you know 125 people mm -hmm. that work on behalf of happiness to support mm -hmm. you in an emerging brand is the best of both worlds. Like that's the thing that's super, that just excites me about launching new brands with happiness. It's yeah. not as difficult, you know, right. it's not that we're perfect. Believe me, you, you, we learn just like everybody else learns and we pivot like we need to pivot yeah. because nothing's ever going to be exactly the way you think. Like when I launched Ecomates, I launched the month COVID started. Like, who would have thought that, right? Like, who yeah. would have even envisioned that? So something's always going to be different, and you're yeah. going to have to pivot a little bit. But I think the strength of having a, a parent company that really has been there, done it, has the has the strength to be able to support the growth yeah. and support the systems is a really good scenario. Additionally, you know, finding a brand that maybe isn't the very first one. You know, there are, there are models out there that have done great, but they're like the very first one in that in that arena. That's a little bit scarier than, yeah. for example, a window cleaning company. Squeegee was invented in 1936 for crying out loud. <laughs> so, you know, I'm pretty sure we know what we're doing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, tell me a little bit, obviously, because of some of the companies that you've been involved in in the past, I have to imagine that you have, and I'm asking this for my partner, Ray, who can't be here, you, put, no. you must have a very strong um, drive to create a good culture. Can you kind of tell me what you, what your thoughts are on creating a culture that people want to be a part of? Right. That's. It, I think that is so important, Kristen. Culture in every aspect of a business is important, regardless if you're the franchisor or the franchisee. You have to outculture your competition in every aspect. Right. So happiness is, and we kind of laugh about it, but it is true. And this comes from Scott Pritz, our chairman and CEO, is we just have a no jerks policy at happiness. Like we don't hire jerky people and we don't bring in jerky franchisees. Like that's the rule. Yeah. Jerk, you don't get in the door. 
because we really are collaborative. We really do want the best. We really want to build a positive, productive environment so that we can all move forward in whatever our roles are. So it starts kind of at the top down with happiness, which is exciting. So then when Scott researches businesses for us to acquire, guess what? Those CEOs and founders are the same. And that was why Chris Stonis was such a great fit for happiness because they speak the same language. Chris values his employees and his franchisees the same way that Scott does with a 55-year-old brand and Lawn Doctor and Andy Fuller does with Mosquito Hunters, you know, and Rachel does with Ecomades. And, like, it just – if you have a disconnect there, then – we're all working in different directions and nobody's right. moving forward. Well, and it is a nest, right? So you all have to get along in the nest. So oh, um, yeah. <laughs> we do. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, um, well, that's great. I mean, crazy's good, right? Yeah. Yeah. You would think um we just don't have the political landscape in in happiness. Like there's just no room for it. We're yeah. all it, we are extremely busy, as is many people in this industry and every industry, but we're so focused on what we want to get accomplished that everybody just kind of works in the same, we're rowing the boat in the same direction. We may have different ideas, but it's open communication. Um, Everybody's super respectful. We have a lot of fun when we're together, but we are very driven to bring in good franchisees and help them be as successful as they want to be. Well, I think what's great about how you answered that question is that has been really consistent with everybody that we have interviewed from Happiness. So it's really nice to see that, you know, I just, you didn't know I was going to ask that question, obviously, but we asked it of everybody and all of your answers are very, very similar and kind of entwined in the same message. So, well, Uh let's get down to some brass tacks, if you will. So how does one go about deciding, it, you know, there's a lot of questions. So you have the franchise fee of the total investment. What are you looking at for a price tag to invest and become a franchisee with, with um, Sparkle Squad? Sparkle Squad. So initial investment, item seven, which is get in, get up and going for three months. And it's it's inclusive, is somewhere between 133 and 146000 So still considering a lower investment. But if you were, depending on how you come into this model, whether you come in as an owner-operator, not on the tools, but certainly giving us full-time best efforts in the business, right? that would be that range. And then you also have to budget for scalability the first year because you're going to add job pods, which are vehicles and employees. And, you know, we cover your marketing for the first year, so you can add to that or you're pretty well set for that first year. Um, so you'd want to budget for that. So a little bit more. So I, I um, cautiously agree with your mindset on, I think, two and a half times with this brand is a little high yeah. as far as, like, worry of investment. But I, I get your point of why you said that. Yeah. Well, you, the benefit to you, Sharon, is that you don't, have, you don't need brick and mortar. You're not doing build-up. Exactly. Right? exactly. Yep. Yeah. And there's no... Uh, you know, they can do this out of their house. They can get a storage unit. They can have a little 200-square-foot space. It really, it's really simple. And all of the equipment is on four wheels. 
Like yeah. the job pod is self-contained. So, you know, your business is driving down the streets and there isn't, you might replace filters and, you know, uh-huh. the sleep rubber, but you're really, there's no big equipment that you have to worry about in this brand. It's yeah. all more maintenance driven. Um, so I think that uh, that keeps the investment low. If you were to do like a semi f and opportunity with this, then absolutely, I want to see more money. I want to see more skin. I want to see you be able to really comfortably pay a GM yep. on your business for you. And there's guidelines and there's systems in place for us to be able to support that. Yep. Um, to be perfectly honest, though, in our foundational owners, I would prefer more owner operators that are going to really drive their business than I would semi-absentee. But if for the right candidate, yeah, I think sometimes semi-absentee owners are some of the best because they can manage their time very effectively and efficiently. They uh-huh. have money to put food on their table while they're building the business, so they're not worried about how to yeah. pay the bills. Right. Uh, they're looking at it as a marathon, not a sprint. Right, right. Investing for the long haul. And I think their motivation is, is for the most part, to diversify their revenue. Sure. Uh, so I, I'm attracted to, to certain candidates that have those qualities. Sure. And when you speak of those, I think of somebody who has uh, been a CEO, uh, maybe of a large company, so they're used to juggling many hats. Maybe they're still going to be doing some, some consulting or something along with this business. Multi-unit, multi-brand operator like Jerry's got, you know, two different things going on and a billion other things happening. So they're used to that splitting of the time. Um, but again, I think when you talk about um, know thyself, like we talked about in the beginning, you have to really, you can't just say, oh, I'm going to. I'm going to buy this, but I'm going to go off and do my own thing in Florida while, you know, so-and-so runs the business up here. That just doesn't typically present a good foundation. They're not there to do the culture and, and many other things. So yeah. um, that's definitely for me um, a red flag, you know, a candidate like that at this stage in the game of really building the foundation. I do think there is, from COVID specifically, we see candidates that are working. They mm-hmm. like their job. They want to keep their job, but they're super flexible. Right. Yeah. They run their own show at home. A lot of us are working from home. We have autonomy in getting our jobs done, and they can be flexible. So great. So get a supervisor. Be yep. flexible. Talk to your customers. Manage your teams you can juggle it, then we can help you there. So I think it just sort of depends um, on their situations. Let's talk a little bit in, in those scenarios. What size or how do you define territories in this case? Because mm-hmm. that obviously could come into play for someone as well. Yeah, absolutely. So for Sparkle Squad, we look at a, about 40,000 income qualified households per territory, which are designed by contiguous zip codes. So that will give you a, if you do it the right way, a significant business opportunity, right? And the and we're looking for middle, middle, upper, upper wealthy. That's okay. your spot. Families need their their windows clean. They don't have time. It's the don't want to do it and the can't do it people. Yes. That's yes. that's and that's a lot of people. So it's really people that even don't have like a tremendous amount of disposable income 
but it's they don't have the time. Just like in your profession, in your business, yep. they would rather spend their time somewhere else or they just physically can't do it, right? Exactly, exactly. So, um, so that would be a typical territory. Um, I think density should play a role in that. I think easy access from point A to point B needs to be considered. When we look at territories, I definitely want my franchisees' uh, job pods to be able to get where they need to go because minutes and seconds equal dollars and cents. Yeah, and that's another thing, you know, I want to point out about having these job pods, which I love the definition of it, or, you know, the name that you've given it. But, you know, in a lot of businesses, when you have vehicles out there and they're logoed, they're branded on the road, that is for us then our number one uh, mode and, and reason people call it. We say, how, you know, how did you find us? Our biggest lead source is the cars. And exactly. so I think, especially for a brand like yours that doesn't have a brick and mortar, these job pods are like mobile brick and mortars everywhere and everyone sees them. So when people are comparing all of these brands and the pros and the cons, I mean, there's a lot to think about. And, you know, as you talked about some of these things in the break-even analysis, right, you, those are where you also want to figure out, okay, how many households am I going to have in this territory? And mm -hmm. then how much do I need to pull out of each person to get to break even, and then at what point can I expand if I need to? There's so many different things, and we talked with a gentleman who helps people retire from franchising, and that was all about beginning with the end in mind. Right. So, um, you know, that's just one of those one of those things that people have to consider. So, being that um, Elite Window Cleaning came from Canada, and we've brought it here, Sparkle Squad. We know that sometimes emerging brands have a bit of trouble getting SBA loans. How about with you? I mean, you're affiliated with Happiness. Have you found anybody to have challenges? Uh, I know we haven't yet because we're not there, but having challenges because it's, they could technically say you're a Canadian brand. Do you see any issues with that? I No, I think that's irrelevant because it is an American. It's two separate companies. Like okay. Elite is only in Canada. Sparkle is only in the U.S. But honestly, I'm not sure that this brand would be a good SBA investment. You know, one, that's that's a pretty significant monthly not to pay. Yeah. And that comes out of your bottom line, right? So mm -hmm. your cash getting to cash positive is going to take a lot longer. Yeah. And so that's just a huge thing in itself, too. The way that we have our investments set up with the majority of our brands, it's set up this way where you pay your first-year marketing up front. Uh -huh. We have a force-year success program. So, uh we have a very specific way to market our businesses that create the demand for our owners. Okay. And so we require them to participate in a really aggressive way the first year and going sure. forward specifically the first year that there isn't enough uh, hard asset to satisfy the SBA. And we don't yeah. let people put deposits down and pay things yeah. later and all of that, like we, if you can't afford to be in a business, you shouldn't be in a business in this particular scenario. Sure. No, you, we don't have a build out or anything like that. I would have to guess then that this is a good um, option for people who might want to roll some 401k money into a business um, because as you mentioned, FD likes their to be assets. 
something tangible. And with service businesses, they just don't really have it. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I am seeing more and more with all of our brands, people that just pay it, which I find interesting and awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you to those high interest rates we're getting from having money in the bank. (laughs) But 401k is absolutely, I think, a strong option, and I think it's a smart option when you're looking at starting a business. Yeah, yeah. Well, and the the thing to know, too, is that it's not just the SBA that that we're dealing with. There are a lot of lenders out there. We've had several on the show, so people are going, oh, great. Well, how am I going to finance something like this? It sounds really good. Give us a shout, fill out the form, go check out some of the shows that we've interviewed people who are from different banks who, you know, they may be SBA approved banks, but they can lend, they're franchise banks, they can lend outside of the SBA. And I think that's important for people to know um, when you're looking at something like this. So yeah. just last words of advice or thoughts that you'd like people to know about your brand as you kick it off and get started here? I think one of the biggest things is we all know that window cleaning has been around forever and will always be around. There's glass everywhere and it's going to get dirty. So it's never going to go away. And the more we build, the more glass we have to clean. So that should be an easy for somebody to say there's going to always be a need for this. And there's going to be a desire to beautify your home because people are staying in their home longer. You know, they're adding to their home, living, living in their nest, right? Yeah, make yeah. it happy. But I think for us specifically, I would love for candidates to really keep an open mind when they look at us as an emerging brand because we do have our big brother behind us and we do have a validated brand that's been extremely successful in Canada. Yeah. And it's really I think it's a it's going to be a little bit easier opportunity here in the states. We have a much longer window to in most states to perform our job of of what the business does. Um, You know, we have more population, density of population than what's in Canada. So I just feel like it's just going to be a little bit easier to do that. So with a validated brand that's been proven under the happiness umbrella, like that's a great recipe to get in somewhere at the beginning get a great territory, use our resources, and start building for your future. Yeah, absolutely. And again, for those of you who are interested in um, Sparkle Squad, the, the FBD has so much great information in it, everything from royalty rates to expectations of the franchisor, expectations of the franchisee. Sharon, I really wish you the best of luck with this brand. I can't wait to see where it goes. I'm super excited. I think the technology is way cool. Yeah. And um, obviously, you know, we just love the group over there at Happiness. And we hope to have you back on it on again in 2024, letting us know how great you've done with the growth. I would be more than happy to do that. I expect big things from this brand. That's awesome. If people want to reach out to you, where can they find you? They can just find me at my email address, which is Sharon QPAC at Happiness Brands. And and hopefully that's somewhere on here that they can see how to spell my name. They can go on to our website at sparklesquad.com or sparklesquadfranchise.com, and that will eventually get to me as well. 
Awesome. And so we'll also have all of that at the end of the show, and people can go to our website where they can see all the contact information that you stated as well. Sharon, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, lots of love to all of you over there at Happiness Brands. We can't wait to see what we've got uh, coming out of there next. Wonderful. Thank you very much for the opportunity today. Absolutely. Have a great day. 50 graduates resulting in seven new franchisees owning eight franchise brands, more than a dozen skilled graduates who are employees of franchise companies, all of them having earned a concentration in franchising exclusively granted by the Titus Center at Palm Beach Atlantic University, plus more than 80 franchise professionals on our advisory board. The Titus Center for Franchising is on fire in West Palm Beach, Florida. What do you need to join us? My students want to hear from you. They may even want to buy your franchise or work for your company. TitusCenter.com. And welcome back to another episode of Pillars of Franchising. It's the Jerry segment. Hello, Kristen. How are you? Jerry, I'm great. I'm so excited that you have stopped traveling long enough to come and see us today. Oh, I love hanging out with you guys. It just doesn't always work into the schedule, as you know, but I love being here. You know, part of why I love to be here is to hear about these emerging brands and these brands coming from Canada, like uh, Sparkle Squad we just talked about and so on. I've yeah. uh, learned so much listening in, so I hope our listeners are getting some good stuff out of that. Yeah, now let me ask you, Jerry, on that, on that uh, line there. When you bought into the joint, were they still considered an emerging brand at that point? No, they were not. They were, they okay. were well on that. Um, I'm doing this from memory, so don't quote me on it, but I believe about roughly 80% of the franchise systems have 100 or less right. units. And typically, emerging brands are between 20 and 50, or you know, below 50 is what they're talking about. So um, they were not, they had, uh, I'm doing this from memory again, probably 500 and some, maybe okay. 600 at that time. So uh, and they are rapidly racing to a thousand. They should make it there, I think, next year or sometime. Wow. Yeah, I know initially I didn't see any around my neighborhood, and then all of a sudden there's signs everywhere. <laughs> well, they're doing their job. I love it. They are. They are. So, Jerry, I know we left off our last episode with you talking about joint employership and how we got to be in this uncomfortable situation. Yeah. Share with us on part two of that today. Yeah, part two is going to be about history and uh, what has transpired in the last 40 or so years that bring us to this point. And then, of course, next week we're going to talk about the what ifs. What does uh, franchising look like if this continues to move forward? Uh, what are the options that franchisees and franchisors can consider and those kind of things? So that's next week. By the way, listeners, if you didn't hear, the one we did two weeks ago, the number one, you should probably go into our library and listen to that one. Uh, for some reason, you can't be here next week. Ours will be recorded, so get it there. But uh, So today, Christian, we're going to talk a lot about uh, the history of what brings us about. Okay. okay. Yep. And you, you and I spoke earlier about the word is not really getting out through franchisors or anywhere else. So for those that haven't heard about this before, I'm not surprised. Uh, but that's what we're here for, right? Right, exactly. And I still am perplexed as to why that is, but I guess we could talk about that later because yeah. I, I would think we all need to band together with this. I think but. we can talk about that next week when we talk about the what ifs and why people are reacting the way they are and so on. But let's give you a little bit of history on this, okay? Yep. 
Now, uh, we're going to cover roughly 40 years, and, uh, you know, franchising really started taking off roughly 40 years ago. I mean, there were McDonald's was out there, and some of the bigger brands were out there, but uh, the, the smaller ones were really just getting started. So uh, we didn't hit the radar of the NLRB or some of those kinds of people uh, until about 40 years ago. So 40 years ago, they put the first guidelines in place related to the relationship between a franchisee and a franchisor, uh, and what that meant from an employment standpoint and those kinds of things. So it was really fairly simple. Uh, basically, they were just, and by the way, for our listeners, uh, International Franchise Association is where you go to get all this information. I know that screen didn't show it very well, but uh, uh, bottom line is I am referring to some uh, history that they've put out that you would have access to if you went on their uh, their website. So if you want more information than what we're giving you, go to IFA. Uh, so in this early rendition, um, Congress recognized and the FTC and the NLRB recognized that there was going to be this relationship between the franchise or the franchisee and their employees. And they decided that since the franchisor was selling the you know, basically the rights to use their name and logo and things like that, that the franchisor had some responsibility to protect the brand by expecting certain things mm -hmm. of the franchisee, and the franchisee had to hold uh, their employees to a certain standard to protect that brand. Yeah. And at that time, some of it got into uniforms. They would have to wear specific uniforms, uh, maybe use certain uh, – you know, phrases when they greeted customers and those kinds of things. Some of those are still in place today, by the way, but back then it was yes. very prevalent. Well, and you uh, know, Jerry, I want to point out for people who are thinking about getting into franchising, a great book to uh, to read, and I've been listening to it every morning now just to kind of go back to, because of this, go back to the beginning, is the E-Myth. Sure. He talks exactly about what you said about the uniforms, how do you greet somebody, and that whole protection of the brand. And that's why if a franchisor does a good job protecting that brand, as is the franchisee, that's what makes the brand valuable when you get ready right. to exit. Right. So, Kristen, as this moves forward through this 40-year time frame, the uh, uh, NLRB in particular decided that it came down to the amount of control that a franchisor had over the employees that a franchisee had. So, uniforms and, you know, phrases and hiring practices and training practices and things like that starts coming into play if the guidelines are too strict coming down from the franchise or because it looks like they are controlling your, your employees, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, in 2015, a law was put in place called Browning-Ferris, and uh, it kind of gave a little more guideline to this. And it, for the control side of this, it basically said, it was reserved and indirect control that basically helped guide this. So in other words, you had to have more direct control. In other words, the franchisor says specific things to the employees, not with that buffer of the franchisee. And the franchisee had no say in how they controlled their employees. So that was kind of the guideline. As long as the franchisor didn't have too much direct control, there was some flexibility. And then in uh, 2020, a new rule was put in place that basically says indirect control and reserve control were also potentially, and here's where the questions come in, potentially something that would get named as a, uh, a joint employer. Okay. So 
it started becoming more fuzzy. And I'll tell you uh, from direct experience with franchisees that went through this, when it became more fuzzy, we became much more apt to get engaged in labor lawsuits. Mm-hmm. And I won't go into details, but I was on stage with several people who went through those back between 2020 and 2023 in that time frame when this came up, because if nothing else, it made it much more open for uh, conjecture. Yeah. So if, if an employee had a bad taste in their mouth about a, an employer, it was very easy for them to reach out to the NLRB and claim something, and then the LR, NLRB would step in. And in most cases, franchisees were clean, and they were not found guilty. But at the same time, they spent fifty dollars to $100,000 on legal fees to defend themselves against something they were eventually found innocent of. Sure. So hmm. now think, think about your company. And I'm just, I'm just putting you on the spot because Great. I want you to understand you're any franchisee out there. You're going along fat, dumb, and happy. You're doing business as you're supposed to under mm-hmm. the guidance of the franchisor. An employee doesn't show up for work, and that's their fourth time, and you fire them because that's okay. what your guidelines say. That's and right. your guidelines, not the franchisors, but franchisors have deep pockets. So yep. attorneys want to create this connection. Well, what's interesting about that is we were just required to have um, – I don't know, like, let me re- – I don't recall if it was required, but highly recommended. And I'm pretty well versed in HR practices. However, I did opt to follow their recommendation of getting a business practices insurance policy so that if something like that happened, I would have insurance to cover me. The timing of all of this is almost uncanny because I'm thinking, oh, maybe that's why they suggested that we all go out and get this business practices. Because really, if you've had HR experience, yes, not hard, really. Yes. And I would, um, um, first off, review your coverage and your limits mm-hmm. because attorneys are expensive. And if you were involved in one of these and it drug out for a while, um, you may tap up against some limits. So just keep that yeah, in mind. Good point. Um, and by the way, I'm going to do a little plug here, and it was not intentional, but uh, I think it's something people should consider. Franchisors in particular, but franchisees to some extent, there is a company out there called My HR Council. Hmm? And they have, in essence, kind of a membership system where franchisors in particular can sign up for their coverage and franchisees can incrementally get legal and HR help through them for a manageable fee. So franchisees can go directly to them, but there's probably other companies doing it. That's just one that we've had a lot of, um, you know, connection with and success with and so on. So I'll give them a shout out here. But I want to help as I'm talking about this, um, you know, this gray area where almost anything could happen, kind of the Wild West where an employee could just wake up on the wrong side of of the bed and, you know, create a joint employer situation. In uh, pre-Browning-Ferris, the, the, as I said, the franchisor had to have significant, sufficient control over the employee, almost directly hiring and firing the employee before you could get engaged in a joint employer um, situation. Under Browning-Ferris, which took it to the next level, um, they had to have uh, sufficient control 
which is still in the same general area, but mm-hmm. it also opened the door for uh, meaningful bargaining for situations uh, of employment. Now, that could be one-on-one with the employee and you, but you and I both know what bargaining also means, right? Oh, yeah. Yep, absolutely. So it started opening the door for people to think that that might be on the on the uh, on the horizon. And then you go into the 2020 rule, and it still says, you must have sufficient control that meaningfully affects matters related to the employment relationship. So again, it got a little weaker, but still fairly clear, right? You have to have sufficient control that impacts the uh, employment relationship. Let me tell you what the new rule says, should it become law. No limit or extent required on control. That's a Literally, what's that? That's a big problem. <laughs> That's a big problem. Because that means, in essence, every employment discussion could become an opportunity to create a joint employer situation. Again, as a franchisee like you and I, um, you know, I've got 250 employees. Yeah. So any well, of them. I, I do want to point out, right, and, and this is not completely accurate for every business because there are I'm going to just refer to them as bad people out there everywhere. But I do believe that as franchisees, as business owners, it is our, the onus is on us to create a culture in which the employee never feels that they need to do that. Right. And so, as we said before, these things get created because somebody takes their eye off the ball. Somebody disengages at that employee level and allows something Maybe you've got a manager. I've had it before where I had a manager running things. I'm out of town. I come back and I've got a mess to clean up because the manager got mad and they said something and the employee didn't like the way they were talked to. And you're like, oh, hell no. Right. And so it's always much better. You know, not everybody who buys a franchise has HR background, but hopefully most of them have some kind of management background. And I appreciate you putting that tool out there that's online for people. But this is not like a joke and this is really going to change this landscape of franchising for who knows how long so right well and we also have to understand there is a lot of pushback on this at a lot of levels so there is no uh, guarantee it's going to actually take effect but the fact that it's out there and by the way this is and i'm doing this from memory this is about the seventh rendition of this in the last 12 years that i've been aware of it just keeps getting it's like whack-a-mole yeah out in dc it just keeps getting repackaged and and tied into other bills and all those kinds of things it cannot make it through congress so now committees are putting in place the nlrb right so um again going back to pre browning ferris uh, any case that was brought up related to joint employer, uh, it basically they they decided it on the economics. Was the employee treated fairly from a global standpoint? Was it to be expected of an employee in that situation? Things like that that we would yeah. do, right? So fairly common sense. Even under the Browning Ferris, it was still similar to that, so it was it was tolerable. 2020 is when it really started going the other way. And now literally anything under the employment process could be considered a joint employer issue. And, uh, and it's very similar now under the new rule when it comes to that. So, you know, the next questions are, is this a good time to get into franchising? Is you knew it. 
Yeah, so we'll bring this uh, this number two uh, phase of the discussion to a close, look into uh, what ifs next week. But um, the thing is, this is a pretty big issue, but at the same time, any business in the world is going to face times in history when things like this are coming up, whether it's through Congress or whatever the situation. So this is really just another one of those situations. It doesn't make any difference what business you're in. Uh, you will face this kind of stuff. The good thing about being in franchising is you've got a lot of people out there that work against this stuff, that talk about it. I testified before Congress. Other people have. You know, yeah. we're, we're there to tell our story. You know, you've got uh, organizations like the International Franchise Association that have lobbyists and, you know, attorneys. And, and we've got people all over the country that are fighting this. We've got friends in Congress who many of them own franchises or used to own franchises, certainly own small businesses. So they understand it, and they're working on our behalf to try and uh, come up with common sense legislation related to this. So that's a little bit long answer to a short question, but the bottom line is it's still a great time to get into franchise. Um, you know, we've, we've always got hurdles. This is just another time in history. But don't lose your dream because of I agree with you 100%. Jerry, thank you so much for your thoughts and all the hard work you do on behalf of all of us in franchising. And uh, we would like to thank all of you for joining us today on the show. Uh, a special shout out to my great friend, Jerry Akers, Ray Pillar, Karen Kimsey Sword. Uh, I am Kristen Shelmessy, your fourth million dollar mentor today. Huge thanks to Fred McMurray for producing our show. And we look forward to seeing you all next week. Same time, same channel, same channel wherever you get your podcast. And remember, the dream starts here. Our website is full of answers to your most important questions. Have a great day. Yeah.